team win! There are great, great, great individual efforts, okay? But what matters most, above all, is that team, okay? And this team in here, we've been through a lot, have we not? And we will be better for it. We are better for it because of what we've been through so far, right? Everything we want is on the other side of what? Hard. But when you guys fight like you do, when you practice like you do, when you push each other, when you play for each other like you do, that's the result right here. Team on three. One, two, three. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. It's your November 2nd Wednesday episode, and this is our comprehensive breakdown, all 22, as we always do, two days removed from the game, and there's a lot of great stuff to talk about here. Hopefully you enjoyed the Kevin Stefanski pre-show clip. I always like to try to get the locker room after a win. A lot of emotions going on there. Really good stuff all around. So, uh, you know, I like, like, again, to hear Kevin kind of talk to his guys about lessons they're learning, stuff like that. I think it's invaluable to hear that because sometimes we don't all get the chance to slow down and hear that stuff. So always like sharing it with you guys. Think it's think it's pretty cool kickoff to those pods. Um, yeah, let's talk about this game. So we got a lot of different people from the Brown side here after the game. A lot of good quotes, you know, players in the locker room. Amari talked. Uh, Conklin talked, Hudson talked, Nick Chubb talked, a lot of great stuff. I wrote up Amari Cooper's day. Hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out because he was he was really torching Cincinnati. And now, obviously, the Bengals were dealing with a lot of difficulties, issues with their cornerback situation. You know, missing Cheeto goes down, uh, Awuzier goes down, they're already down. Um, some other bodies, Eli Apple didn't play, so... You could call that a net negative maybe because Eli Apple struggles at times. But anyway, like the, the general point is they were depleted at corner. They had to play Trey Flowers on Cooper, and they cut him up. But the Browns took advantage and did a lot of the little things right in this game, and I think that is a huge part of what stood out to me. And, and again, that's why you win a game 32-13 in the manner they did because they dominated the little parts of the game. Although there were hiccups early, we all could agree, you know, an interception on a trick play, which I elaborated on yesterday, and then um, obviously the the fumble turnover there right before half, which the Browns were fortunate, capitalized to get the football back and ultimately get three more points on the board to go into a half 11 nothing. but uh, it wasn't perfect. But again, little things in terms of controlling situational football, taking advantage of mistakes by the Bengals, you know, being able to put themselves in the right position on defense. I talked about the touch snap stuff on offense on Twitter today. If you want to know what I mean by touch snap, it's when the offense has everybody get up to the line of scrimmage and the center is the last one up to the line of scrimmage and he is just snapping the football as soon as he touches it. It's really deceptive because what happens is you guys, um, and we'll talk about offense in this game first, is you come out of the huddle and typically your center is the first one to the football. You all get down. There's usually a uh, some sort of schematic call, maybe, or a, a, a blue blue 18, what, anything, any color number combination, and you snap it on set hut, set go, whatever. 
Uh, but in the shotgun, the Browns like to do this little wrinkle where they break the huddle and everybody gets up to the line and gets set. The defense is relaxing, kind of waiting on the center to get there, not uh, not like totally locked in and engaged. And the Browns will have the center just as soon as he touches it. I'm sure in the huddle, Jacoby's calling the play, and it's on the quick is what they would call it, or on the touch. That's when the center touches the football, he's snapping it. And they took advantage of a couple different opportunities on downfield throws where the Bengals were just ill-prepared on the snap. And that split second of maybe a guy's messing with his mouthpiece or talking to a teammate and communicating this, that, or the other leads to a big play. And the Browns got a couple of those. And this isn't new. Kevin Stefanski's done it for three years. It's a nice little wrinkle to giving them. So they really like to use it in third and pass situations, those predictable third and six, seven plus, because the defense is already kind of slow playing it. They're they're getting ready and communicating maybe elaborate coverages, and the defense is ready to sort of, if it were a normal snap, get after the quarterback speed rush. This slows it down. Like the, the amount of time the quarterback has the football uh, versus a normal snap from a touch snap, it's it's you know almost up to a second more of time with the football before the rush is really engaged in coming after the quarterback. Again, if you want to understand that a little bit more, I wrote that up and put it up on Twitter. You can find that on my Twitter page. And then, and a reminder, the Amari Cooper stuff, like I said earlier, is up on the OBR. And tomorrow, as you're listening to this, well, today, here on November 2nd, I'm going to post about some of the depth players who stepped up in this game to help the Browns win. So check that out. By the end of the week, I want to have something up on what the Browns' biggest issue is in the last three weeks, which is mug front or simulated pressure fronts where teams are walking six, seven, eight guys up to the line of scrimmage and confusing the Browns' protection and putting them in dangerous positions. Sacks, fumbles, turnovers, interceptions have been a theme the last three weeks, and they go to Miami after the bye week in Miami. Let me just tell you right now, those guys really, really get after you with some creative blitz packages where they walk guys down into the line of scrimmage and play man-to-man behind it. So, you know, the, the Miami has a game to worry about before this week, but they are going to be prepared. They're going to notice what the Browns struggle with. They watched it on Monday Night Football, some of the lower-tier guys who are doing data gathering so that they can have that information ready for Miami's coaches to do their game planning after their Sunday game when they flip the script to the Browns. They're going to know it. It's going to be a huge thing. So the Browns have to clean that up. Uh, in this um, in this bye week, because teams are going to continue to try to take advantage of uh, Jacoby Brissett's struggles with that. So listen, quick break. We're going to hear a word from Blue Wire sponsors, and then when we come back, we're going to dig into what I noticed from the All-22 about the offense, some data points I have, and then obviously we'll get into some of the player grades uh, as well. So we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So the Browns go 69 plays in this game. They have a couple penalties that take them out of, I think, 73 total plays, but some were called no plays due to decisions made on penalties. So they end up registering 69 plays, 440 yards, a lot of stuff you really like. So let's go through what I noted from, um, you know, watching data collection, all the stuff we typically get here. So uh, the Browns of those 69 plays, they ran 40 from 11 personnel. Okay. So they ran 40, 11 personnel. They ran four from 21 personnel. So that was four snaps for Kareem and Nick Chubb on the field together. But then they got real crazy. Obviously down David and Joku in this one, they needed to throw extra bodies on the field. They put Dunn out there for a whopping 23 snaps. And that's, that's, that's quite a few. Uh, it's, I mean, it's an amazing number of six offensive lineman snaps. And then they got even crazier. And, and the big block Hudson made on the two-point conversions everywhere. But he played a lot. He had nine snaps as well, according to Pro Football Focus in this game too. So they were using those guys like crazy. It's a little hard to collect data because what would normally be a 13 personnel look is two offensive tackles instead. So you're not getting the traditional numbers. But I'm telling you right now, the Browns are blowing the water out from other teams in terms of which teams use six or seven offensive linemen at any given moment. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, they, I think they used eight on that two-point conversion, and they're having fun with it. And, and it's kind of amazing that you can put up 32 points in the modern NFL running Michael Dunn out there for 23 snaps. Uh, I, I mean, they, they need to expand tight end stuff over time in terms of guys behind Njoku, but... They were not. They're not afraid to be sort of predictable with some of this stuff. And like I said, it it uh, it yielded a pretty positive outcome. So uh, guys who registered the most snaps, and again, uh, those are going to be your offensive linemen, your quarterback. So you get 71 from Froholt, you get uh, 71 from uh, Jed Brissett, Batonio, Posich, and then um, uh, your your uh, right tackle Conklin only played 67. He kind of came off. He had a little bit of an issue, an injury where he limped off for a little bit. So you got f- actually five snaps. I think you got upward of five snaps from Hudson that were uh, that were just in the uh, seven offensive lineman personnel, and then you got uh, another snap, um, another four snaps from him where he came in for Conklin, I believe. I, I have to double check that number, but that sounds right when he stepped off the field. Uh, other guys who played a lot of snaps, Donovan Peoples-Jones really didn't come off the field very much at all. 68 total snaps in this one. David Bell with a career-high 34 total snaps in this one. Nick Chubb, 37. So he saw the field plenty. Amari Cooper, 57. And then um, Kareem Hunt, 33. So he saw the field a lot. Michael Woods with, again, another career high for him. 12 snaps and a uh, reception in this one, a first down catch. And then Harrison Bryant, 52. And Farrow Brown, 24. Uh, best graded guys are you know your key offensive linemen in this one. Uh, guys above 80, Jedrick Wills, 84.3. Michael Dunn in his 23 snaps, three of which were pass, 20 of which were run snaps, and 85.8. Jacoby Brissett, one of the best quarterback grades of the entire Week 8 slate with a 90.8 and a pass grade of 86.0. 
Joel Batonio with a 93.0, and then Ethan Posich with a 94. So those guys were very strong. But the, the, again, the, the numbers were good across the board. Cooper's up at a 70. Uh, James Hudson a 70.4. Chubb was 70.6. David Bell 71.4. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 71.9. Conklin and Froholt graded at the lowest of the group because their run-blocking metrics weren't good, but Froholt, strong in the pass-blocking phase, one of the best pass-blocking grades, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, for Froholt, and I think that checks out. Thought he played pretty well, anchored really well, did a good job passing off some double teams. Conklin, a little bit of a an interesting game. I, I'm not sure what he was dealing with physically and how much of that was taking out of him, but he wasn't his usual stellar self in the run game. He was better in pass pro, but not his usual great run blocking stuff. So some of the mobility stuff is going to be something I'm focusing on in the coming weeks. But uh, he came back in, he seemed to finish the game. So you take, you know, you take the positive with that. Bryant and Farrell Brown struggled in terms of grades. They were your only guys really below that played significant snaps who were down below the 60 points. So it was a pretty good offensive performance. Again, a lot of plays, a lot of time of possession, and a lot of yards, 440 put out. We can dig in a little bit more to some stuff I have here in terms of um, let's do quarterback first. We'll do Jacoby. Then we're going to talk run game. I got a quote from Kevin Stefanski that I want to share with you guys that I think is very pertinent to what I talked about pregame and I've continued to talk about in, uh, I don't know how to phrase this, sort of uh, run, run the ball mania. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a craze that's gone on about how much the Browns run the ball and finding a way to complain about that. And, and, and I thought Kevin saying sort of exactly what I said in the pregame, Kevin said it in the postgame is, is very true. So shifting to Brissett real quick, before we talk about that run game stuff, he was 17 of 22. He dropped back 25 times. So he was, um, he was sacked a couple times, one of which I thought was his fault. Uh, one of which I did not think was his fault. He sacked two times, and then he had a scramble for a touchdown, that three-yard touchdown, which is a fantastic effort uh, in that in, in that uh, goal line scenario off play action. Uh, he had a uh, one turnover-worthy play, which is obviously the fumble. He had one big-time throw, which was that last uh, launched football down the left sideline to uh, to Amari Cooper for 53 yards. He had a 10.9 A dot, which is average distance of target, which is pretty strong, getting into the double digits there. 13 first-down plays, which again. Really, really big. And he had good time to throw, 3.28 seconds to throw. So a lot of play action, a lot of long developing routes, which is what I talked about in the Amari Cooper article, is a big part of what makes Amari Cooper successful because what he does so well ties into what the Browns do so well collectively. Digging into more granular stuff with the quarterback, uh, Jacoby Brissett kept clean, was elite. 90.3 when he was kept clean. 14 of 17, 234 and a touchdown. That 90.3 passing grade is huge. Under pressure, again, this is where you know a guy like Jacoby... You look for tiers of how quarterbacks play, right? How do they handle uh, late pressure moments? How do they handle pressure from uh, you know the defense providing pressure into their lap? It's just not his strong suit. He graded out below 63, a 62.2 passing grade. Obviously, the fumble hurts that quite a bit. He was 3 for 5 for 44 yards when under pressure. When he was not blitzed, he was 11 of 15 for 191 and a touchdown. And when he was blitzed, he was really good, right? He was really good. He got 6 of 7 for 87 yards when he was blitzed. So again, blitz doesn't always correlate to pressure. As we see here, he was pretty good against the pressure stuff. Uh, but the one time he wasn't good against pressure was the the fumble there right before halftime. So the pass grade went down when he was blitzed. Well, he had an 88.8 when he was not blitzed. So pretty strong there. The The stuff you like again... Uh, they didn't didn't run any screens in this one. They must be sandbagging screen game for coming up uh, with Buffalo and 
some of these others, they, they've sort of shelved it in the past three to four weeks after a great start to the season in the screen game. It's kind of worked in the opposite direction. Teams have sniffed it out, so not doing as much. Play action, Brissett was 3 of 3 on play action, 77 yards. The uh, fourth drop back of that scenario is the touchdown scramble. Non-play action, 14 of 19, 201 and a touchdown. So again, strong there. Uh, the depth throws of 20 plus, 1 of 1. 53 yards, which, you know, garners an 87 pass grade. His medium stuff was great, 8 of 9. The only one that didn't get completed was a nice play on third down where he worked the front side concept, came to the backside dig to Cooper, but he just didn't get enough on it. It was a little low, and Cooper couldn't dig it out. I really do think that's a ball DPJ digs out, as he has a keen sense for, for going down, getting the football at low points, coddling, the, you know, sort of cradling that football. Uh, he does a really good job with it, low and high point stuff. That's not necessarily a huge part of what Cooper's great at. Is he's more of that uh, route running savant, separation creator. You like to have different gadgets in your wide receiver room, and that's why I think those two play really well off of each other. Six of seven in the short parts of the field. Uh, that's zero to nine yards for reset for 51 yards too. So listen, a lot of great stuff here from Jacoby and a stellar, stellar game that he deserved every part of the praise, the win. I thought he was phenomenal. So uh, shout out to Jacoby Brissett who continues to just be a guy you root for, right? He plays his butt off. He plays he's far from perfect. He's he's probably not going to take anybody where they you know, ultimately want to go with the Super Bowl because he kind of he's shown over the course of his career he can't really handle those huge pressure situations. But as Gino out in Seattle has has figured out a way to carve out a career here by doing so many things so well, is there a team that that is looking at how Brissett is playing here and can see him as a bridge quarterback in their system that is similar to Cleveland's? to sort of take them between maybe a guy they didn't get to draft in the next year. So, I mean, I think Brissett has earned starter reps in another place. He has played so well for Cleveland in this system. Uh, has had, you know, hiccups, late-game hiccups and stuff like that. But that's what I'm saying. He's not a perfect type here. He would be a starter somewhere and probably be a face of a franchise. He's, a, he's an A-plus leader, a guy that players and coaches and front office members really love. And like I said, he's so easy to root for, not a perfect player by any stretch, and, and ultimately he will be sitting down when Watson comes back, but is, uh, his, he deserves a lot of praise. He deserves a lot of praise. So shout out to you, Jacoby Brissett, for playing a great game and one of the best CPOEs, completion percentage over expected in the league this year. So hey, listen, coming into the game, I want to switch focus a little bit. It was a, a conversation around how do we get in the, you know, Nick Chubb, more carries, more carries, more carries. And I'm like, that's fine. We all want more carries, even though he's among the league leaders, uh, sitting near the top of the league leaders and carries in a game and average and all that stuff. What you can't do if you want to run the football and establish rhythm. And I said this in the pregame as a reminder, you cannot have third down miscues. You can't be two for 11 the way they were against New England. You can't. Uh, and I think that was actually Baltimore. I think New England, they were a little bit better or vice versa, but they, were, they weren't good enough. And if you create five more uh, opportunities with the first down, the way the Browns got 24 first downs in this one, you know, you're talking about the ability to run the football at the bare minimum by creating five more possessions. If you run it two of three that you're only guaranteed three plays of offense, you're talking about 10 more carries for Nick Chubb potentially. If you, if you just access that first down by getting – you know, those key third downs. There were 8 of 13 in this game on third downs, which is phenomenal. And again, 24 first downs, that's where you start to see that trickling up. 
And I said, you know, the last two weeks, people have complained so much about rushing yards. And this was that two game stretch was the only two games where the Browns were not up over 170 rushing yards, which they did eclipse that with 172 in this game. But it's about opportunities, converting first downs and staying on the field. So I wanted to share this quote from Stefanski. The reporter asked him about establishing the run. So let's shift over there real quick and then we'll come right back. Play calling, but establish the run made that more of a priority. Was that coincidence or was that at all because of that play? You know, it honestly becomes a rhythm of the game at times. Uh, specifically to that point, there were some things that we wanted to get going in the run game. Um, obviously, wanted to get Nick going, and I think we did. And, and when you start hitting some of those plays, you stay on the field. And I think it, it, a lot of times, when you, if you throw an interception or you, or you don't convert on third down, you, it's hard to get in a rhythm and, and get into those plays where your, your guys are touching the ball. Listen, I'm not crazy. I just wanted to share that, that thought process of how you create more opportunities There you go. So um, other notes from this one as we keep going and talking about the run game. I actually did not like the Browns run game efficiency in this one. It was it was pretty rough altogether. There were 20 runs that the Browns had on first or second down. And those 20, 20 of, I think, 34 running back carries between Nick and Kareem, because I don't think there was one late. The Ernest Johnson came in on that last possession. Uh, between Nick and Kareem's 34, 20 of those runs on first and second down went for three or less yards. So, you know, there was this great Joe Thomas quote years ago about run game efficiency. If you run, you know, five times and you run four of those five for two yards, but you pop an 80 yard rush, that looks like your yards per carry is great on those five carries when really the efficiency isn't good. So what he's talking about back then, he said it so eloquently to the Cleveland media which is, you know, 7, 5, 8, 13, 6, getting those numbers to 4 or above, and that's how you create run game efficiency. You start to, you know, sort of chew at your opponent, chew at the clock. The Browns were not very good at this in this game. I thought they put themselves in some really hard third downs. Now, the passing stuff on third downs was really good. Obviously, that helps. They converted 8 of 13. That's an impressive number on those third downs, but those were third and longs that they were they were, uh they were converting. So run game metrics, they had two runs of inside zone for 23 yards, including a very important third and six run in the fourth quarter that goes for 20, 21 yards, which is a huge uh, split zone run that they got the Bengals to chase the uh, split zone tight end running the opposite direction to kick out the backside end, and that opened up a nice crease, and Nick did a good job. The most successful run they had was, was wide zone. It, was, it wasn't great, but they had a, pu- a couple that popped, so they went 19 times in that scheme for 79 yards a touchdown, including Nick's direct snap touchdown. Um, five Only five runs in power for just 13 yards, five runs in pin pull for just five yards. They did run trap, which is not a normal concept for them. Usually it's a guard trap they did run one of the two was a double trap so they pulled the backside guard and the frontside guard the frontside guard kicked out the seven technique uh, end uh, end or walked up edge defender and then you had the backside guard trapping the traditional three technique and it was a nice little play that popped for six yards the final touchdown to that nick took in to go up 31 uh, to 31 points in the game before the pat that was just a traditional trap against a bear front where they again pulled trapped kicked out the three and it was kind of a fun wrinkle if you can go find this play they had both Hudson and Dunn in and both of those players lined up outside wide you know traditionally where the tight ends would be shoot outside like they're selling pass and it took a couple defenders out of the play and Nick ends up scoring kind of squirting through the hole there and uh, you know picking up 11 yards scoring a touchdown and largely scored that touchdown because the uh, nub tight end which would be a nub tight end a single side additional tackle 
um, you know, uh, Hudson sneaks out to the flat to almost sell like some little RPO or play action, and that pulls the linebacker with him. So that was fun. The Browns ran two counters for just one yard. They did a nice draw in the fourth quarter on a second and long. They like to run that little. Um, it's not a sprint draw, but it's like a, it's like a uh, it's like a cell open. I'm not sure the phrasing for what that draw type is, but it's really just an extension. The back sort of almost steps up like he's pass blocking. Quarterback reaches it out, so it's not all too deceptive, but they run it to the shade so that the guard can down block. You pass influence upfield on the end from the tackle. You down block the, the guard center down block together, but you do it to the shade side, which is a tighter technique to the center because then the guard can climb to the will linebacker, and it worked for 15 yards from Kareem Hunt. It was a nice play. And then, hey, listen. One of the most effective plays they have, three quarterback sneaks for 10 yards. So not the Browns' best run game overall, but when you can end up ultimately putting up 172 yards largely from your running backs, it's hard to really complain about it, right? So it it, it was good enough, and the situation they put themselves in on the scoreboard allowed them to be consistent with it, including the third downs, including the turnovers created all of that stuff is really good. Brissett gets a 79.9 run grade because he scrambled efficiently for five times, 12 yards, picked up um, a couple first downs, actually four first downs because you include the quarterback sneaks. So he gets a nice mark. Nick's 68.8. I didn't think he was really great in this one, but he had moments of Nick's usual self. He forced four missed tackles, continues to lead the league in that market, a long run of 21, three 10 plus yard carries. He ran 15 times in zone, which is a which is a little bit of a trend breaker. The Browns have tilted more toward gap than zone, but they ran a lot of zone in this game. 15 carries in zone. He had uh, one carry, like I said, of 15 plus yards. So not not crazy there, but uh, he was he was good. He was good. 23 101 collectively and two touchdowns to continue to have a stellar season right atop the NFL along uh, as the rushing leader at this moment in time. Kareem grades at a 59.6. 11 carries, 42 yards. He forced three missed tackles, had a long run of 15, two carries over 10 yards, a bit more balanced for him, which I would think it would be. Five carries in zone and four in gap, including one 15-yard run that they deem a breakaway run. Dearness Johnson, a 67.1, and man, I I miss watching that guy play. He has such a controlled run pace, and when he got those four carries on that last drive and made a couple people miss by selling lateral and just getting vertical with a very abrupt cut, I'm like, man, I do miss Dearness Johnson running the football a little bit. So uh, that was fun to watch him carry it. He forced a missed tackle, ended up having 17 yards on just four carries. So good stuff overall in his seven snaps. The pass block stuff... Listen, Kareem got away with the hold on a big second uh, second quarter throw where he he sort of reached around, grabbed the neck. I didn't enjoy that. He has been spotty at best, I think, is, is how I would deem it in pass pro stuff in shotgun predictable situations. And I need to see him clean it up. Uh, really do need to see him clean it up uh, quickly because they want to use him there. And he's an effective pass catcher where he went four for four and targets for 30 yards. But he's got to be a better blocker. You know, that the sack fumble thing happens because he's chasing wide. And maybe, listen, maybe that's your guy. But when they bring four to a side, you need to be able to peel off and take the inside untouched instead of the widest guy. Because the quickest path to the quarterback is the closest to him. The running back has to see that uh, in particular. I think something that I'm noticing teams are doing to the Browns 
is uh, in this game, two things they didn't do. Let me start there. Two things they didn't do. They didn't run any naked. I thought that, that the, the, the Bengals were crashing so hard they could have done this. Now, again, this could be game plan dependent, and they want to roll in some surprises later down the line. But that was there all day, and they decided not to do any kind of play-action naked rollout opposite. They're setting themselves up for one time a, a shotgun run, lateral pin pull, where Jacoby Brissett just keeps it because teams are selling out off the backside to run those plays down. There was one opportunity I thought he could have, but I don't know if they're giving him the leeway to do that. But, man, that opportunity sitting there waiting. Something the, the Ravens did and now the Bengals did is they are shooting linebackers through, like, Wide zone runs, everybody's working laterally down the line. It's a huge synchronization situation where you're picking up guys on the move. But what has caused them some issues is linebackers shooting gaps that are sort of back behind where a, a, a guard or center thinks that player is going to end up. Patrick Queen had a couple of great efforts. And in this game, Logan Wilson had a couple of those where he shot through a gap and Posich or or te, uh, tread, or sorry, where Posich, Froholt, or Betonio in certain scenarios didn't see him in time and it caused them some issues and it, it almost led to some tackles for loss. The Bengals were also very hyper aggressive in sending slot blitzes. I had Hilton coming in on four separate slot blitzes and run scenarios that gave the Browns trouble. I mean, if you're running wide zone and you're running it into the open slot side and they send that slot corner on a blitz inside, you're never going to get to him and he's going to blow up the play at the point of attack and he was tricky there. They they did a nice job calling that, but that does come with some inherent risk and in play action, but the Browns had done so well with what they were doing, they didn't really need to reach into the bag deep to pull out some naked play action or, you know, some of the screen stuff we're talking about here. So uh, I kind of just my notes touched on uh, the touch snap stuff, which is great. Um, so Jacoby's touchdown run, this was a funny quote from Brissett that I want to read to you guys. Uh, about his learning so this play action concept he comes off of it down on the three yard line it's a it's a it's a crosser uh almost an end zone mesh concept to both of his um wide receivers in the end zone kind of hoping one gets you know man coverage and they pop open free and Brissett is talking about how the game has slowed down for him and sort of specifically references this play uh, his touchdown run he said so he comes off the read and he's stepping up, sliding out to the pocket left. He said, no one was around me. And then I felt somebody around me. So I was having, I was having to run fast. I thought about the Chargers game. And when I threw that pick across my body, because you guys remember that one all too well, I'm sure, when the Browns were down near the 10-yard line. I've been beating myself up about that a lot just because that game has been like sitting on my heart. Again, such a genuine dude. I always told myself if I ever get that opportunity again, I'm going to make the right decision. I think if... Uh, I think I half made the right decision, he says. I reached uh, reached the ball out on second down, which is stupid. It was one of those where I was like, man, I have to take it. So he steps up, and as he steps up to kind of you, you get out of the pocket, there is a split second where he could have hit Donovan Peoples-Jones, which he did not uh, decide to rip that. And hearing this quote, I totally understand why. He's apprehensive about that. And then as he's pressing outside to the left, there's still a little bit of room where he could probably try on a ripped throw to fit it into uh, Peoples-Jones. But Jesse Bates, the safety, a stellar safety for the Bengals, is sort of sitting in that end zone slot waiting on him to throw it. And he gives a quick pump fake, and that allows Bates to sit in the end zone, not run upfield and make a play on him at the pylon. And Brissett outruns the linebacker to the pylon. So that was great. And to hear Jacoby give that that opinion on it, I thought I thought that obviously was 
That was really fun too. So um, otherwise, I don't have anything else in terms of um, run game stuff. The Like I talked about, the 11-yard touchdown was on trap, and that was a unique wrinkle for this week, especially the double trap stuff. Let's wrap up grades before we shift to defense. The receiving grades, Amari Cooper in 83.1. He had uh, five of uh, receptions on seven targets. He had ten in the slot, playing a lot of slot snaps. They're sneaking, they're moving these guys around significantly. Like Amari Cooper uh, had ten slot snaps, Peoples Jones ten, and David Bell eleven. So you're not really getting guys pigeonholed into a lot of different stuff here. Um, the discrepancy between Cooper and Peoples Jones is fun. They both had ten slot and both had sixteen wide snaps. Cooper had 29 yards after catch, 19.4, largely helped by the 53 yard bomb. Uh, catch uh, that was that was uh, improved his to 19.4 average distance on targets. He did have one drop. Um, I'm not sure if they accredited that drop to the dig route that I talked about earlier in the second quarter, or if they're uh, giving him a drop on the slant on um, the, the, the the two straight snaps where the Bengals did the mug front stuff. The look, uh, the first one, Brissett did a good job of evading the free rusher because Cincinnati did a really nice little wrinkle where they said. The Browns released the back to the flat. They brought two off the side when the pressure was, uh, sorry, the offensive line protection was sliding to the right. So what you would think is if they bring two off the side, my tackle can only block one of them. I'm just going to flip it. If no one covers the back, I flip it to the back. But what they did is Hendrickson goes up field. And then as Hendrickson is coming up field, he, he, he at the last moment slides out and covers the back on the swing route. And then that leaves the inside guy free. Uh, I'll try to put this in writing this week so you can understand what I'm talking about. But uh, it was a really nice job wrinkle by the Bengals. But Jacoby did a good job of evading it with a pump fake, stepping up and throwing a slant. I thought hit Cooper in the hands. Cooper sort of gave this little indication that he thought he was held and no flag was called. But it was a great game from him overall. And he had another touchdown he could have had that was missed. Uh, I tried to highlight that too. Peoples-Jones catches 4-4 for 81, continues to be just a solid, solid guy on the football field. Like his... Thing is clear at this point. He doesn't separate all too well. He's not very twitchy. He does not create the natural highlight level YouTube, Twitter clip type uh, wiggle route stuff, but he catches everything. He catches difficult location throws and he catches the football with people hanging on top of him. And if you can do that, you can get into the NFL and find ways to find success, especially in this offense because he's a willing blocker. He's a great teammate. And again, he catches everything. Low, high, difficult, people bearing down on top of him. That's why he's finding success in the league, and he's trending toward an 800 to 900 yard season because he's catching so many difficult throws. We'll see if that changes as his career goes on and he gets a little older, but he he could benefit so much from finding a way to get a little more wiggle into his routes to create more separation. David Bell catches 2 of 2 for 27. I want to see more with the with the Njoku injury if he doesn't play in Miami and Buffalo. I want to see more from Mike Woods and David Bell to see what we have there, right? So 27 yards there. Woods was targeted twice. He was the targeted throw on the reverse, which he had an angle, but Cooper would have had to hit him upfield, and it would have had to have been a really good throw, but that was his second target. But he did catch one, did a good job in scramble drill of turning up field short, but then he did this turn up field, realized he was at the sticks and sort of turned back around and ran toward the sideline. It was pretty twitchy. I liked it. It was a good catch, good effort. So I'm just very intrigued by David Bell and Mike Woods and what they're asking David Bell to do in the slot and the blocking stuff also tells you how much they believe in him uh, being on the field in some of those important snaps. So that wraps up the receivers looking at O-line again. Yodi Froholt was the best pass blocking grade, did not give up a pressure. Posich 
listen, Posich is playing, and I think he's grading out as the second highest uh, graded center in the league, and I think he's playing very good football. Like I, I mean, he's like he's playing like J.C. Treader. He's playing so well um, to the point that you you think like, how can we keep him around a little longer? And it's tough because Nick Harris had such a good offseason and put together good tape last year, but I'm sure he's crushed a little bit because it's really hard to think that you would take out Posich given what they've done here. But uh, anyway, he played really well and has continued to play really well. He didn't give up a pressure on any of the 13 true pass sets or any regular pass set as well. But Tonio gave up one hurry, an 81.4 pass blocking grade. That one hurry came in one of the 13 true pass sets, so that dips his grade down to the 74.8. Um, Jack Conklin, 77.9, didn't give up any pressures in the game, uh, but he did miss a couple little assignments when I thought he needed to be on somebody closer to the line of scrimmage. I think that hurt his grade a little bit. Uh, otherwise, Jedrick Wills, 68.4, he allowed a hit and a hurry, two pressures, one in the organic stuff, uh, non-true pass set, one inside the true pass set stuff, so that's why his grade is a little lower. Again, Jed... I, I my stance is unchanged. A very fine athlete, almost too athletic for the position at times, but he just doesn't continue to fight through the whistle. I think Mitchell Schwartz made a great point. He got on Twitter and mentioned something to uh, Joe Thomas about getting on Jedrick Wills about finishing through the snap, and your job is not finished. Like Too often, Jed thinks that the internal clock he has is meshing with the play, and he quits on plays he thinks are done. But the the thing Mitchell Schwartz said, which I thought was really interesting, is if the D end is working, you are working. Because that means the play is still live in some way, shape, or form. So when you think a play is done, it's not done. If the D end tells you who you're face guarding, blocking, driving, anchoring, whatever, is still fighting you in that moment. That's where it's just as simple as playing through the whistle. Postage goes 92 uh, collective run blocking grade, 93.2 in uh, 22 zone snaps, uh, 62.5 in the gap stuff, but still respectable. Tonio, with his usual stellar performance, 90.7 in the run blocking phase, was good in both zone and gap. Jed had a nice run blocking game himself, 87. Better in zone than gap, but still pretty good in both. Done in his 20 run blocking snaps, 74.6. And again, to my point about David Bell, he, they ask him sometimes to cut off defensive ends. Like, they're asking him to do big boy jobs, and he graded out well in zone of 76.9. The only person who struggled, who got a lot of snaps, the two guys were Yodi Froholt and Jack Conklin, who graded out in the 50s in both phases. And I think that's true. I think Froholt struggled to climb, anchor, and turn people in this one. And then Conklin just seemed a little slow for what he normally is. And I think he had something that was... Uh, was giving him some fits, and it just wasn't a great performance from him in run game like we're accustomed to. Good enough, but just not his usual great self. And then Hudson in five uh, run-blocking snaps in this one, a 66.6, including that gap destruction he did on the uh, two-point play, pulling down the line. So he gets a nice 75.5 gap grade, which I think is pretty strong. So that wraps up the offense, a really fun showing. We're going to take our last break, come back. We'll talk about the defense and end on some special teams too. Be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. 
Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you follow me on Twitter and pay attention, I told you I was really happy about this defensive performance because they did some things and they look comfortable doing things that got me extremely excited uh, for this side of the football because they, um, not just the simple things, but they got intricate in their approach and it messed with Cincinnati, in my opinion, relatively significantly, at least Joe Burrow. And when you mix confusing the quarterback some with really, really strong defensive line play, you can get this sort of outcome where you hold a team like the Bengals. Down Jamar Chase, I get his importance, but you held him to 50 plays and 229 total net yards. You sack the quarterback five times, you get two takeaways. Like, that is as good as it gets at the NFL level against elite quarterback play. And I do consider Joe Burrow an elite quarterback. You can have your take on it, but I think he's extremely good. And to do what they did to him, I thought was a really special overall effort in in this one and they deserve a lot of recognition for it i have some stuff that i keep track of like um you know total of the 50 snaps i have eight line stunts that's twists and exchanges i have blitz stuff i have um according to what i gathered versus what pro football focus gathered i had the browns blitzing just five times in this one like true five-man blitzes they did some different things where they did zone droppers they brought a second level guy But a five-man blitz, I only had five of those. So not a high blitz volume game, but what they did do was play some aggressive cover one. They played eight snaps of cover one, which they did a really nice job in that phase. They they really... um, they really only gave up one completion in cover one. They they gave up a throw uh, against Deion Jones, the first series of the game, a back shoulder throw to Chris Evans, the reserve running back for the Bengals. He made a great catch on it on a good throw, ended up being 26 yards, but they only had nine total yards um, against cover one outside of that play. So that's what you really like. There was a pass interference call on Martin Emerson, but again, collectively, cover one, close coverage, that was a strong game in close coverage. And to cover three, the Browns played that 17 times, and they did a great job rotating. Like, I have the Browns going middle of the field open to closed or closed open, so changing the look on Burrow pre to post. I have them doing that 18 times in 50 snaps, and that's a lot. That's a lot for them, and they're starting to see that comfort in being able to do that and changing the picture of a quarterback's thought what he's uh, of what he's going to get before the snap and after is so it's so vital. Uh, Burrow goes only 8 of 12 for 38 yards against cover 3. Two sacks in there and a forced fumble. And cover 3 gave the it gave the Bengals hell. Right, a lot of teams talk about cover 2 and the Browns threw a significant amount of open field coverages. Cover 2 and cover 6, uh, 15 total snaps of those two. But the Bengals were okay against it. I thought that they, um, they actually were okay. 9 of 10 for 61 yards. They did get one sack, but that was against cover two. Cover three on those three snaps, they ended up being two of two for 20 yards in that, and they ended up scoring a touchdown against cover six. So although those are the popular things teams are doing to Cincinnati, and I like the Browns bringing the different wrinkles, 
they actually handled it pretty well. Cover four was nice. I, I thought they, they did a pretty good job against it. Um, Cleveland did, getting uh, situations with quarters and long down and distance. So they ran cover four on eight snaps, four of six, eight, uh, a number, I think 43 yards here with a sack included is what I have. They didn't play any cover zero, but they did do some two-man. Uh, they ran a couple of two-man looks. Um, actually have three snaps, all of which came from Dime. The Browns played 10 snaps of Dime where they would take off Taki Taki and bring in Ronnie Harrison. Those were all 10 of Ronnie Harrison's snaps. And then three of those, they played two-man. And they even got fun one time on a third and medium they took and what usually two man is, is you get two deep safeties to help an over the top coverage against man, but they actually squatted them at the first down marker and tried to cut down any crossing routes or digs that they were trying to throw for easy first down. So again, a lot of different wrinkles for Woods in this one. Not a hyper aggressive blitz game, but they played a, a decent amount of man. They played more open coverages than they've played in in by far over the last three weeks. You know, going with 15 snaps of six and two tells me that they clearly knew what the, what the blueprint was put on place, uh, you know, put in place from Pittsburgh week one. And I think the Bengals played Dallas in week two. So, you know, they, they took notes and did a lot of what the Browns are comfortable doing. And they mixed it with things that they've seen the Bengals struggle with. So they only played two snaps of three linebackers in this game. So of 50 snaps, two in base. Because the Bengals just play all 11 person. They had one snap the entire game the Bengals did that wasn't in 11 personnel. They do very little diversity in personnel groupings. So 38 snaps against nickel. Um, for Well, with nickel against 11 personnel. And then I mentioned earlier those 10 snaps of dime where the Browns did use a three down front for three of those snaps. Included. So that means they ran that sort of 3-2 look, which, you, you, again, you sprinkle a second linebacker on the field. It's more like some people call that quarter or dollar. They did a little bit of that, too. So, listen, my notes say this. The first drive, they, they did some boss front stuff. They ran that dime look they, in terms of three on a side, one man wide, and having some creative mug front stuff. So they did a great job with that two under on the first drive. They got an interception on a pretty simple RPO where they're just having a stick route to the quarterback's left side. Burrow is just reading Greg Newsom in the slot. If he uh, squeezes inside to play the run, you can throw that stick route. Well, that's what happened, except for, you know, Miles Garrett making game-changing plays, tips the football, and A.J. Green intercepts it. So that was really nice by Miles to overcome some scheme stuff, right? There was one blown coverage from the Browns at 116 in the first quarter. They're running cover one, and they get mesh picked off the line with a switch exchange release where two guys swap where they're going upfield. I think Newsom was the one who got picked, and it ended up being that the that the squatting, uh, they, were, they were running a form of rob. That means one of the safety steps down into the, to the hole there around the 10-yard mark. He would have normally been there to play the backside dig, but since Newsom got picked on an over route, he helped him left Mike Thomas open on a backside dig, but he dropped it. So that blown coverage didn't hurt them. Uh, they did some D-line droppers. I have four times the Browns dropped a D-tackle uh, D or D-end into coverage. Uh, they they uh, did a pretty good job overall. Uh, and a lot of looks that they used, I wrote down here, they used that dual three technique look they like to do to create pressure that collapses the pocket. And in this game, 
they did a great job of collapsing that. From that look, it can be like what happens is if a quarterback sees two wide nines and two three techniques, the middle of the field looks wide open. But the Browns did a nice job in their stunts with the line to get those guys moving from outside initially to inside. What that does is changes the launch point for the quarterback and it changes his line of sight. And I thought that that affected how Burrow had to make some decisions and led to some quick drop-offs. And it's just a small wrinkle, but it's changing again. The Browns should be focusing on how often can they change what the quarterback sees pre-snap to post-snap. That's vital, right? When Burrow was kept clean, he was Joe Burrow. He's 23 of 30, 219 and a touchdown. He was exceptional. Big-time throw in there. Um, you, you know, a couple drops hurt him, but he was himself. When they got pressure on him is where Joe started to go downhill. He was 10 dropbacks, five sacks. He was only two of five against pressure, 13 yards. He did throw that tipped ball interception and scramble drill, but that's what it tells you, right? So when he was not blitzed in this game, he was 23 of uh, 32, 214, two touchdowns and interception. When he was uh, blitzed, two of three and only 18 yards. So the Browns didn't want to blitz them. They didn't want to take many guys out of coverage, and it worked, right? They got a lot of checkdowns. The reason it worked, though, is because they got the quarterback confused pre-snap to post-snap, and they kicked the Bengals' ass up front. They were the more dominant, more physical team in both phases, and that is is the telltale of all, right? They dominate that. They make the quarterback uncomfortable on every single drop back, and that's where you get the result that you get. So, uh, let's go through, look at metrics and grades real quick as we wrap this one up. Uh, as, as far as overall numbers, Miles Garrett, his usual self, 91.9 pass rush grade. He gets eight total pressures, five hurries, one hit, two sacks, one batted throw, which we said led to an interception. A couple stop tackles mixed in there as well. Really strong game. I mean, it's it's who he is. He's a special pass rusher. Sione Takitaki, phenomenal, 87.3 including uh, nice marks across the board in 45 snaps. 72-2 run defense, tackled well in 82.6. He had no missed tackles. And then he had a 91.6 rush grade where he created a sack and a hit and obviously that forced fumble that was recovered. But he had nine total tackles in this one, including a whopping six stop tackles. And those are plays that constitute a failure for the offense. Martin Emerson stepping up to the plate among the best rookie coverage players in the NFL. If you look at just grades, I think the tape matches it. 52 snaps, a 74.5 overall, 77.3 in coverage, where he uh, also had three stop tackles in the game, but he was targeted 10 times. But in those 10 times, the ball came in his responsibilities vicinity. He only gave up 27 yards, so that's strong. Isaiah Thomas had a sack, and I highlighted that sack on Twitter. Two total pressures, but he also had this beautiful club swipe move to get a clutch sack the Browns needed right before halftime to push the Bengals back 10 yards. And then obviously McPherson misses the kick and the Browns get their own chance to go back. Greg Newsom played 39 of his snaps in the slot, 67.8 to 70.3 in coverage. He only gave up 10 yards in coverage. A.J. Green played 27 snaps, sort of rotating in, helping out Greedy, who apparently was dealing with some sickness. He only gave up 11 yards in coverage. Grant Delpit, pretty strong in run stuff. Thought he did a good job coming up playing run fits. He was just where he was supposed to be. All we want from Grandel, but is be where you're supposed to be. Same with John Johnson. They might not blow the defensive grade mark out of the water, but they tackled well. They were where they were supposed to be in run fits, and they were not able to be challenged vertically because they rotated to where they were supposed to rotate. They disguised coverage as well, and that's what you needed. I think Johnson gave up a touchdown. That 13-yard touchdown, he kind of got stuck in the mud in the end zone. I don't know why he didn't uh, float out to cover Tyler Boyd after Boyd turned up field, but 
Um, that's scramble drill stuff, and sometimes it can get a little a little wonky. Togiai grades out relatively decent for the D tackle groom uh, in his 16 snaps, up above a 60. Deion Jones sits at a 60, but he played the pass rush stuff well where he had a sack and he tackled well, which is what they need. The bottom is uh, Jordan Elliott, Jadevian Clowney, Alex Wright. I mean, Alex Wright grades below a 40 in his 31 snaps. Didn't generate a pressure. But I did see some decent moves from him, but I thought the football came out quick. Clowney didn't have much of an impact on the game. You know, I thought he was doing his responsibility, but he didn't have much of an impact. He did have one pressure and he had a stop tackle, but didn't really do a uh, a whole bunch of meaningful catch-the-eye types of things. But again, I don't think these guys were net negatives. I even thought Jordan Elliott, who had two pressures in this game, played relatively well. And it's hard to be mad at a defense that only gave up. I think the Browns only gave up, let me double-check real quick, I think under 35 rushing net yards in this game. The Bengals didn't run it much. But uh, Mixon, 8 for 27. Samaj P. Ryan, 1 for 7. So they gave up 34, 36 if you include a two-yard Joe Burrow scramble. So... Hard to say that the run defense wasn't really good. And, and if we're looking at the collective defense and marks in this one, they only had two missed tackles. Those were Martin Emerson missed tackles, but but uh, those were the only two. So you, you really like that. I mean, a team that hasn't tackled well at times in many games. So good to see run defense. The guys who stood out with exceptional scores, Delpit, Takitaki, both above 70. That's uh, that's really stellar work, uh, especially a team that didn't face many run snaps. So a lot of these grades are just neutral grades because they didn't see enough opportunity. They have um, Alex Wright and Jordan Elliott at the bottom of that. But again, to me, they weren't they weren't bad. I didn't think that they were a hindrance to the run defense in any way, shape, or form. The pass rush grades were fun. Miles and Taki Taki have already talked about Deion Jones, Isaiah Thomas. Togiai goes above a 70. I thought he had a couple nice moves on tape. Uh, as the Browns dominated everywhere up front. Taven Bryan had a sack. He had two total pressures. I thought he was pretty good too. So those guys deserve some credit. But that's the data, and that's the stuff I have on defense, which will write up some of this, how they confused Cincinnati and got into looks they wanted to get into and, and force Burrow to throw it down. But just know that this was the best, most cohesive performance I've seen from this defense with doing – intricate things they didn't blitz much but they did intricate things that confused the quarterback and they dominated with effort and 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 quality football moves up front so that uh that to me it definitely matters and um again miles and true pass sets with an 84.3 is is kind of silly to get that many pressures uh when you when you're going against teams that know they have to chip you double team you to get five total pressures in that scenarios Sort of nuts. Wrapping up with coverage grades, 80.6 from Taki Taki, 77.3 from Emerson, 70 from Newsom, A.J. Green, 67.7. The bottom scores greedy. I mean, largely because of the 41-yard touchdown, but like, I don't know, it looked like a push-off to me, but I guess neither here nor there. Uh, Grant Delpit wasn't challenged. He did not have a target in his direction. You saw one interception from A.J. Green. He got two pass breakups from Emerson, including the one to close the game out. So you really do like that. Uh, guys that, that were on the field a lot, Ronnie Harrison didn't see a target his direction. Only one in Grant Delpit's direction for 14 yards. John Johnson, uh, only three in his direction for 17 yards. Deion Jones gives, uh, Jones gives up 50, but again, largely 26-yard back shoulder throw, which is hard to defend, and kudos to the Bengals for pulling that one off. Taki Taki gave up seven catches in his vicinity, but many of them were on swing routes and checkdowns. Like, that's why he got a lot of stop tackles, because he just came up field and tackled, you know, dump off throws from Burrow, 
and you know he gives up seven to seven for 48 yards but those plays didn't hurt anything and they were typically in long third down scenarios where he just needed to rally up stay true to his 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 fit on the on the ball carrier after the catch and he did a great job with that it's not all it doesn't have to be challenging all the time right uh, special teams, Tony Field, 79 overall grade. He had a tackle. DeAnthony Bell had that opening kickoff tackle, 71.3. John Johnson, uh, mostly involved in punt stuff, uh, 71.0. Dakota Allen, 70.1. At the bottom, Dearness Johnson's at the bottom with a 39.2 because he missed a tackle. Uh, Michael Woods down there, too. The, 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 uh, the, the punt was uh, pretty embarrassing. There was a punt from Corey Bjorquez that only traveled about 10 yards. So that rears itself in this game where they, they can't have that happen. So you never want to see a 10-yard punt at any level, even if it's JV, right? So he had two punts, one of which went for 57 and another one that went for 10. So he needs to be better than that. You're just asked to kick the football. The, the, um, the field goal stuff, you know, the, I have to dig in a little bit more. I did not get a chance to see it. I think the trajectory was low from Cade on that first one. He needed to lift it more. And if you watched his kick right before half, he lifted it beautifully. So it's there. He's just got to consistently strike it because it can, you know, he's got plenty of leg. Even when he lifts the football, he's got plenty of leg from 55 plus, like like out to 60. So just got to lift that thing. And, and, and we saw McPherson struggle and everybody loved McPherson. Everyone should. I think he's a hyper talented kicker, but he missed a PAT. He could have missed two PATs. He barely snuck another one through and he missed a, a field goal in the game as well. So, you know, it sort of balanced itself out with, with Cade going three for three and one for two McPherson on the other side, struggling, going one for two, missing a kick uh, in the 40 to 49 yard range. So the Browns actually won the net field goal stuff, despite having their first kick blocked, uh, it ended up working out for K. But it, it, again, it's growing pains. The stuff is hard in the NFL. Some days, you, if your barometer, again, is your exposure to Justin Tucker in the AFC North and really Boswell, who's been stellar for Pittsburgh for many years, it's not always how it's going to go. You need to be patient with these talented young kickers and let them eventually get to those levels. So I was really pleased to see Cade make that one before half because I thought it put everybody into the locker room feeling two-score game, feeling great about that. So kudos to him. That's all I have, though. I mean, I've gone about an hour. These pods get usually recorded so late at night because I'm gathering so much data during my work day when I get downtime to, to be able to do this, doing it at lunch and various other things and then trying to do it late at night when the family goes to sleep. So I hope this is beneficial, a lot of talking points, and I really hope you leave this podcast feeling like you get something out of it to truly understand what teams were trying to do in this game. So um, I, I'm always open to feedback. You guys left me great feedback about you know the Jordan and, and, and uh, episode that I do during the week and with John Colosimo and uh, the one with Jared, and we'll do those. We're just going to bump them all back a day because of Monday Night Football, uh, including starting with Jared tomorrow, but... I'm always open to feedback on the comprehensive film breakdowns. If you guys want to be able to ask questions about this stuff or anything, you know, uh, feel free, you know, and like I said, DMs are always open. If you want to hear something specific, I'm not talking about in these, but yeah, anyway, that's a wrap. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the win. I hope you've enjoyed all the content that has come from those wins and you continue to enjoy your uh, Browns victory week is what this will turn into. So have a great Wednesday, and wherever life is taking you, thanks for stopping by, supporting this podcast, and we close with our usual, and this time has a little bit more meaning because we're feeling good about the, the franchise for a week here. Go Browns.